I remember the first time I ever heard this particular term. It was very strange to my ears. Uh, the, the word I heard from a 25 or so year old person was adulting. How many people have heard that word adulting? Amen. Amen. Uh, so the first time I heard, I'm like, what is this adulting thing you're talking about? Um, but then I began to hear it more and more and more. And you might not know, but in 2015, it was actually named the word of the year, adulting. Adulting is a thing, y'all. And, and, and what adulting basically means is this. It, it, it means beginning the process of moving from adolescence or very young adulthood into doing adult things. Things that most of us don't really enjoy too much. Paying the bills, amen? That's adulting. Having to be at work every day on time. That's adulting. Taking on more responsibilities and, and life getting more complicated. That is adulting. But when I hear people talk about it, usually it comes with maybe a little bit of a complaint. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, this adulting. But often I also hear it in this way. Even with the complaint, there's also a sense of uh, of joy in growth and like, I know I'm moving on to another stage of life. Amen. So, so that's kind of what adulting is. And if I'll be honest, sometimes I would look at it and say, what are y'all complaining about? But my goodness, sometimes I wish I could give up adulting myself. Amen. I don't want to adult anymore. I just want to chill and do my thing for a little while. Um, but so I want to say to every 20-something and some of the 30-somethings in here, go on with your bad self. Go on adulting. Amen? Um, but today, as we look at the story of Jesus, I want to use another word in a brand new way. Today we're going to talk about discipling. But I want to use that word in the way that we use adulting. Today, I'm not using the word discipling to talk about how one Christian helps another Christian to grow in the Lord. That's not how we're talking about discipling today. Here's our definition of discipling today. Discipling is a verb. The act of making radical life changes to begin doing what disciples do by living, acting, and thinking like Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the scriptures and learn a little bit about what discipling really is. So stand with me this morning. If you're able to stand on up and we're going to read our Bible together. We're going to read Mark chapter one, verses 14 through 20. It's on the board. So let's just jump in and, and read together. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Amen. Today, I'm going to talk from the subject, Discipling 101. Discipling 101. And the main idea is discipleship is a radical call to turn away from control and to trust in God's character. Discipleship is a radical call to turn away from control and to trust in God's character. Let me pray. Father, I pray that today, as we talk about discipling, that you would touch each and every person under the sound of my voice, that you would stir us up by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that we would desire more than ever to honor you and walk with you, and that you would empower us by your great grace to do exactly that. Lord, use this time for your glory and the good of your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Discipling 101. I want to go straight into the first part of this. There's two parts that we're going to look at. And the first is this, the content of the call to disciple. In verse 14, the scripture says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news about the good news of, of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Last week, we saw Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan by uh, John the Baptist. And then we saw him thrust into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by uh, Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And here we are at the very next verse. And boom, Jesus shows up on the scene in Galilee. Out of nowhere, here comes Jesus in Galilee. And he shows up proclaiming the good news of God. The book starts out and his ministry starts out with, with proclaiming this something big is happening. Do you hear that? He's proclaiming the good news about God. Something big is happening. Jesus goes back. He was in Judea and he was in the wilderness, but now he goes back to his homies in Galilee, right? Where he came from to bring them the good news of this radical message. And Mark uses this phrase, the good news about God or the gospel of God, it's called in the ESV. Uh, it's the only time that that phrase is used in all four of the gospels. It's only used a few times in the New Testament by Paul. So what does he mean by the good news about God? 
What he means really is this. The good news about who God is and what he is doing. Jesus comes to proclaim this radical message of good news. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to say this to us. Uh, it, it, if when we proclaim and tell people about the gospel, it's not good news about the character of God and what he's doing, then we're not proclaiming the gospel of God. Amen? We're proclaiming a different gospel. This gospel is good news. This gospel is revolutionary. So Jesus gets right at it. And Jesus first says these words, the time has come. Tell somebody around you, the time has come. The time has come, Jesus says. The phrase there could be translated this way. The specifically appointed time has now arrived. The, the word used there is kairos. It's, it's a word talking about a point in time, a divinely appointed time. It's not simply passing time or talking about time itself. That would be the word chronos, but it's a kairos time. It's the same word and the same phrasing that Paul uses in Galatians chapter four and verse four, when he says the fullness of time has come and God sent forth his son. It's this idea of the fullness of time. The universe was pregnant and today is the due date. Jesus says the fullness of time has come. It's God's Kairos moment. And now the invasion into history is about to happen the life-changing news, the good news of the gospel. I wonder if anyone here has ever had a time in their life when you were really, really either looking forward to something or dreading something. A moment in time was coming up and it captured all of your attention. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You could probably go through a number of things in your life, and so could I. But one uh, really sticks out to me. I remember uh, when I was going from sixth grade to seventh grade. Back then, that was called junior high school. Amen? So I was really nervous about going from my little elementary school. I lived in a town with about 300 people and about 3,000 cows. We were outnumbered. Uh, and I was going into the big city for junior high school. 11,000 people, night in New York. To me, that was the big city from where I was from. And I was just nervous for weeks thinking about going into the city. Go, how am I going to stack up? I know how I do in my little elementary school place. I'm, I'm comfortable here. I'm good here. But I was scared thinking about that moment of going into junior high school and wondering if I could make it. But what's going on here in the scriptures is not an anxious uh, and fearful little boy wondering about adjusting to school. But it is all of time and all of creation standing on edge, awaiting for the very moment that they were destined for. The kingdom of God has come. 
And that's what Jesus says next. The kingdom of God has come near. The good news is that the kingdom has come and the king has come along with it. Amen? There is no kingdom of God without the king himself, Jesus Christ. And he comes to declare that God is now fulfilling his eternal purposes before your very eyes. The kingdom comes because the king of kings, freshly anointed by the Holy Spirit, tempted in the desert, but overcoming every temptation, he is now here. And because that kingdom comes, we hear Jesus give. The basic call of the never-ending, never-changing, life-transforming gospel of God. Here it is. Repent and believe the good news. That is the ministry of Jesus in a nutshell. That is the beginning of the gospel. That is where he starts. Repent and believe the good news. Brothers and sisters, that's always where the gospel starts. That's always the call of the gospel. There's two unmistakable elements in that statement, and let's look at them one at a time. The first is the call to repent. Somebody say repent. The king has come. The new kingdom is here. And it's time to turn away from the old king and the old kingdoms and embrace the new king, the real king, the eternal king who has come. Yesterday, my wife and I were watching this, this little program. It was like an oldies concert kind of thing. And it had the stylistics on there. Does anybody remember the stylistics? Some Philly guys. They, they were way too cool for school. Uh, they, they were an R&B group back in the 60s and 70s, and, and they were really cool. And we're watching them. And, and I, want, I want to talk to you about what it means to repent, because repenting means turning the other way around, right? It means to turn in a whole new direction. So I'm watching the stylistics, and brothers and sisters, I am not stylistic at all. But, but here is my rendition as they're singing the song, and they're doing their thing, and they bring their hand down and put this out and then they do one of these right it's turning in the exact opposite direction that's what repentance is it's moving I was moving towards sin and self and my own control but now I turn around and I'm moving towards God that that's what it is it's doing the 180 change of direction that God calls us to Here's the thing I want you to see. There's no such thing, no such thing in the Christian gospel that does not demand, command you to make a drastic turn from living for self to living for God. There's no, no, no gospel of Jesus Christ that doesn't command us to make this full turn towards God. If you hear that gospel, it's not the one that's in this book. It's not the one that Jesus proclaimed, that John and Peter and Paul proclaimed. It's not the one that's been proclaimed through the ages. The gospel calls us to a brand new way of life. 
The gospel calls us to put off old ways and take on new ways of living that are now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now the second piece here, the second call, is the call to believe. Jesus says, repent and believe. Now this is an interesting word and an interesting phrase that he uses to, re, to um, believe the gospel. Um, the, the word there actually means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance on someone else. So, so when we're talking about believe, we're not simply talking about agreeing with or ascribing to certain things and saying, yes, that's true. Yes, that's a fact. It's so much more than that. I believe that the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. I believe that. How many believe that? Something like that, right? Approximately. I believe that Mount Everest is 29,032 feet high. How many people believe that? Amen. I, I, I believe that because I read that. I haven't been there or done that, but I, I believe those things. But I don't trust my life to those things. Amen. I, I can believe them as facts that are out there, as facts that other people report to me that are true, but I'm not trusting my life to those realities. The call of the gospel is something totally different than just agreeing about some facts. It's a radical belief. It's a practical trust that changes everything about the trajectory of your life. And I think this is a place where we have messed up too many times in the idea of Christian evangelism. We, we've thought that if I can just run people through and get them to say yes to certain facts and believe certain things, and then maybe they'll pray the prayer with me. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with running people through the gospel and you want people to agree with the truth of the gospel. But here's the reality. Sometimes people are going to say yes just because they don't want to hear you talk anymore. Amen. I've, I'm sure I've had that happen to me. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. What do you want me to repeat? I'll repeat any prayer you want me to repeat. But real evangelism, real repentance and belief is not checking off, I believe this and this and this, but it is now agreeing with the heart of God. It's desiring and loving this God who came to save, heal, and deliver. It's, it's a new reality that you now embrace. Here, here's the thing I want you to see. There is no such thing as an unradical call to discipleship. I know unradical is a new word, but y'all know what it means. There's no such thing as a call to discipleship that's not life-changing, that's not radical, that doesn't make you different. Let, let me explain it this way. Before discipleship, before coming to Jesus or outside of Jesus, I could be a pretty normal guy. Some of y'all are saying, Larry, I don't think so. But 
I could be a pretty normal guy, but, but here's the thing. I have my card. You see it? This is my normal guy card for those of you who are having problems seeing it. This is, I'm a normal guy. But now I come to discipleship in Jesus Christ. What happens to my normal guy card? It's got to go, right? There is no more normal guy anymore. I'm a transformed new creation in Jesus Christ. I'm a different person. Fundamentally different. And, and, and here's the thing. Discipleship with Jesus embraces the kingdom realities and embraces the king that is fundamentally opposed to the systems of this world. It's different. It's not the same. I don't fit in like I used to fit in anymore. In anything. So whether that's politics or whether that's in business or whether it's in education or art or, ent or entertainment, any area of life as a Christian, I don't fit in the same way anymore because I've been molded by a different mold. Amen. And now I belong to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see in every realm of life and culture, gospel-soaked disciples act as forces of sanctifying change that challenge the norms, that contest conventions, and that threaten assumptions. It's the constant call to move against the current of this present age and towards faithfulness to the God of our salvation. Discipling, like adulting, is a profound and complete break from everything that came before it. It is different. Here's what I want to say to all of us today. If your life revolves around the desire, the primary desire to be comfortable. And let's face it, we all want to be comfortable. Amen. But when we build our lives around this desire to be comfortable and to sense that we are in control, then you can be sure that you're not living a life of discipling. Because this life is not that life where the goal is my comfort. My, my goal is my ease. My goal is to make things just everything fit for me. I don't fit that way anymore. Jesus has done too much. So here it is for disciples. Life will most often feel like it's out of control. It will feel like it's constantly changing. Just when I thought I had it down, now there's a new twist. And it moves from one difficult challenge to another. Can somebody say amen today? Now that 
might be true of your life, whether you're discipling or not. But if you're discipling, there is something of embracing that reality, not rejecting it and saying, for God, I live in God. I move in him. I have my being and I want my life to count for Jesus Christ. That's discipling. Sometimes there's respites. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When you have that little time when everything isn't breaking loose in your life, you have that little time. Thank God for that. That's why he made Sabbath. Amen. For his people. And that's why we need to rest. God gives us that rest. But a sense of things being out of control and that challenge is actually the norm of the discipling life. Now, here's the here's the thing. That reality leads us as Christians to be a people of desperate prayer. Say desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. You see, prayer for many believers is something that we know we're supposed to do. And so when we do it, we can kind of check off, I prayed today. Just like Bible study or going to church or some other things. We can check prayer off of my, I'm a good Christian and look what I did list. But here's the reality. When you are discipling, you know that that prayer is not something you check off your list. Prayer now becomes the only alternative you have to a complete breakdown in your life. You're always at that edge. You're at that edge because life is difficult. There are challenges from the inside of you and from outside of you. And you recognize that prayer is the thing that keeps you in touch with the God of your salvation and you need it desperately. Listen, you know you are discipling when prayer moves from a I should do this thing to a I can't live without this thing. Amen? That's when we know we're praying. Brothers and sisters, I I want you to hear this. Christian discipleship is for the most part not what the American church has been engaged in. Rather than Jesus' message of radical change and trust in God alone, we want a TED Talk on how to live the happiest life possible by having control of as many things as possible. But we do it different as Christians. We want that TED Talk with Bible verses attached to it. But Jesus is calling us to exactly the opposite thing. In Jesus' gospel, the goal of control is replaced by trust in the invisible, sovereign, mysterious, and almost always unpredictable hand of God. Our worldly conception of Happiness, which thrives in an atmosphere of comfort and ease, is replaced by a God-centered concept of joy and satisfaction that comes from walking in integrity with God, overcoming temptations, and sacrificing of self to bless others. 
Discipleship is not measured and discipling is not measured by how many facts you know about God, about the Bible, or about doctrine. It's not measured by how many Bible verses you know. All of those things are good. I hope every person here is in the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, learning about the things of God. We need to do that, but those things are never an end of themselves. They are meant to send our lives in a new direction, to have a new trajectory. They are meant not to be memorized simply, but to be obeyed and lived out. Listen, here, here's what I liken it to. And, and most of us now know more about viruses than we ever wanted to. On this other side, hopefully we're moving towards a better place with this virus. I still hear it's ravaging the world that we live in. But we now know more about it than we knew before. One of the things we understand, if, if you get your vaccine, the vaccine itself actually has in it some of the coronavirus, right? That's, that's in the vaccine, but it gives it to you in such a way that when the full-blown virus comes after you, it recognizes it and it rejects the full-blown version of the virus that's going to make you sick, put you in the hospital, or even kill you. So you get a little bit of the virus in you to reject the rest. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a dangerous thing for us. When we expose ourselves over and over and over to the truth of God's word and the spirit of God is speaking to us and yet we just memorize facts but don't change the way we live. We don't want to be in that place, that watered down version that glories in head knowledge without demanding a real heart change. Jesus help us with that. I want to quickly just look at one last thing here. The examples of this call. The examples of this call. When Jesus, we see in verses 16 through 20, Jesus walks by uh, the Sea of Galilee. We remember Jesus had just said, the Kairos moment of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is near. It sounds like something's about to happen that's bigger than 10,000 Super Bowls. It sounds like what's about to happen is going to blow the top off of creation. And then what do we see? We see a normal looking Galilean dude walking by the sea talking to some fishermen. It might not be what you were expecting. The king of kings is here, but he shows up as a poor carpenter. And when he calls his A-team, he starts to call his A-team, he doesn't go to the halls of political power. He doesn't go to the religious elite. He doesn't go to the financial uh, people who are on top of their game. He goes instead to common laborers to men who work with their hands. They work their hands raw in a difficult and dangerous job just to eke out a living. So the kingdom of God shows up, but in the most mundane and seemingly uneventful way. But this is the kingdom of God at hand. I, I wanna show you just real quickly 
in these stories in verses 16 through 20, three characteristics of the call to discipleship that we see in these. Number one, Jesus always initiates the call. Jesus is the initiator of discipleship. Jesus looks for Peter and Andrew and James and John. He finds them just like he found you. Now, someone may say, but I called out to God, but I had this desire in my heart. Listen, brother and sister, that might be true, but I'm going to tell you where that desire came from. God put it there in the first place. Amen. Jesus is the one who initiates the call, and he is calling people even now. He's calling those who don't know him yet, and he's calling those who are already in him. He's calling you to deeper discipleship and a deeper walk with him. Secondly, the instructions for disciples are always the same. Follow Jesus. We see that with Peter and Andrew. We see that with James and John. Jesus does not lead them in a catechism. Catechisms are good. I love catechisms. They can teach us a lot of things, but he doesn't lead them in a catechism or in a study group. He tells them something very simple. Come follow me. That's what the call to discipleship is about more than anything else. It is following Jesus with your whole life. And thirdly, in this call, the call of discipleship always requires a costly response. This is so real in this text. Jesus calls these men who feed their families by the work of their hands and by the sweat of their brow, and he calls them to leave it all behind. The amazing thing is that they do just that. Peter and Andrew leave their nets in the boat and they follow Jesus. James and John not only leave their nets, but they leave daddy in the boat as well. Zebedee's like, what is going on? My sons are gone. Brothers and sisters, if we don't understand the call to discipleship as a costly call, then you don't understand Jesus' call on your life. It costs something. How could they just leave everything like that behind and trust Jesus? I don't know exactly. But I know this, they saw something. And that, what they saw was by the grace of God. What they saw was by the working of the Holy Spirit. And they saw something so compelling in Jesus that it was nothing for them just to leave it all behind. God had worked in their heart and they were able to leave it behind. This kingdom is more beautiful, more powerful, more wonderful than anything this world has to offer. Do you see God that way? Do you see his kingdom that way? If God is just a religious add-on to our lives, then we don't understand who he is at all. Let me close with this. The story of Jesus Christ from the beginning of his ministry starts with this call to full-blown discipleship and that call never stops. Here's the thing. 
The disciples immediately react to it. But if you read the rest of the story, they mess up over and over and over and over again. Does that remind you of anybody you know? Does that remind you of what you looked at in the mirror this morning? They, they, they're called and they heed that call, but they don't get it right all the time. They mess up over and over again. But here is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, loving them and loving them and forgiving them and empowering them and, and allowing them to become the men that they were created to be. That's the call of God. So here's the question for us today. Based on what you've seen in the scripture, are you discipling? And perhaps God is getting at something in your life, some area in your life where you're like, I'm not discipling there. I've locked off that room. I've locked off that section. Uh, no God allowed right here. This is my part. God is saying, I want in. I want into every place, every crack, every crevice, every part of your life because I am here to restore you and make you more like myself. The call of discipleship is to follow Jesus Christ, to do what he does, to think like he thinks, to love like he he loves. I pray that today you will ask God exactly how he is calling you to disciple, to discipleship, and that you will put your trust in him. Oh, brothers and sisters, he's a good God. You can trust him today. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you this day for you are so good. So much better than we could have ever hoped for. Your love is an amazing love and you come to us, you call us, you bid us to come to you, Lord. And we're just thankful for it today. Lord, I pray that for every person under the sound of my voice today, that we might take this call of discipleship, this call to simply follow Jesus more seriously than we've ever taken it in our lives. Lord, may we understand that the cost is high, but it is so worth it. Lord, do your work by word and spirit that we may be those vessels that give great glory, honor, and praise to your name. We pray all these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.